Hello, friends, and welcome. This is episode 76 of the Syracuse Sports Podcast. My name is Brent Axe. It is great to have you here. However you arrived, did you find the link on Syracuse.com or perhaps on social media? That's terrific, but what you should do is subscribe because that way you hit a button and then the Syracuse Sports Podcast arrives to you whenever you want to listen on demand. Just find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Wherever you listen to your podcasts, hit that subscribe button, and there it will be, waiting in your phone or wherever you listen to your podcast. Two great guests to chat with today. My friend Mike Waters from Syracuse.com is going to join us. We're about a month away from Syracuse basketball beginning. There still isn't a schedule, and some details are being worked out, but but it seems to be full steam ahead for college basketball this year. Mike and I discuss the unique circumstances surrounding this season, the expectations for the Orange, And Mike's got a new podcast coming out that you're going to want to subscribe to and certainly listen to, and it's coming soon. We'll also hear from Julian Wiggum as we do every week here on the Syracuse Sports Podcast during Syracuse football season. What did Julian take away from that Clemson game, and what can Syracuse do going forward here at the midway point of the season? Julian and I do a little mid-season evaluation of the Orange. So what do you say we jump right in the pool here? We'll hear from Julian coming up. But first, Mike Waters from Syracuse.com on Orange Basketball, his career covering the team and his new podcast. Mike Waters is here. And Mike, you have been on the beat since when? The Stone Age. I was going to say, I think, what was it like to write stories by chiseling it into a tablet? Can, can you share <laughs> with our listeners what, what that was like? Deadlines were brutal. Yes, it was, <laughs> it was very slow going, uh, chiseling them in. Uh, and then, you know, whiteout came along and, and that was a great thing. And, um, no, not 1989. Okay. You have to know 1989. So we're talking Derek Coleman, Stevie Thompson, Sherman Douglas, which by the way, we've talked about this before. That's one of the great what if teams in Syracuse history. I mean, that was a loaded team that lost to Illinois in the elite eight that year. Yeah. That regional, uh, just that regional alone out in Minneapolis that year, uh, were four incredible teams. Missouri was loaded. Uh, Illinois ha- played Louisville in the Sweet 16, and it was a Louisville team with basically four or five future NBA players. <laughs> and you figured they don't get out of the Sweet 16. And then Illinois and Syracuse, it was, I think both teams had five future NBA guys. Both teams had a future first round draft pick coming off the bench. <laughs> Which, you know, you just don't see that anymore. Uh, you know, Billy Owens was a freshman. It was a, it was amazing, you know, back then when, when guys stuck around in college a little longer, you saw them develop, you know, and so, you know, in, instead of just seeing Derek Coleman for one year as a freshman in the final four in 87, and then off to the NBA, he goes, now nah, he sticks around for four years and becomes, you know, basically a grown man by the time he's a senior and, you know, same with guys like Sherman and Stevie, you know, even a Billy Owens played three years uh, before leaving, but yeah, that was, that was one heck of a team, you know, where I I was basically just picked up and dropped off, uh, you know, into the middle of a season to cover Uh, a lot of personalities, you know, a team that was a veteran team. Um, So yeah, that was, that was an interesting dynamic. That was fun year. Mike, uh, I hear you're entering the podcast game. Now it's official. Everyone has a podcast. Yeah, Mike's got a podcast. True. Eric Devendorf's got a podcast. 
It's amazing. So welcome to the podcast world. When does it start? Tell me about it and uh, can't wait to hear it. Thanks. Uh, yeah, we're, we're starting very soon. I don't have an exact date for you, but hopefully within the next week to two weeks, uh, we're recording now, uh, trying to bankroll, you know, store up a few before we do the, the rollout, because it would be really embarrassing to record one and then have it air. And it's so bad, we close up. It'd be like a Broadway show, <laughs> shuddering after the first night. But, you know, with over 30 years on the beat, and then my experiences going back to, you know, my days in Nashville and even college years at North Carolina, you know, hoping that I'm going to be able to tap into a few people I've met along the way and share some of their stories that are, you know, beyond the usual stuff you hear from them. So we won't be breaking down news, uh, maybe a little bit and talking about current events, but for, for a lot of folks I have on the show, I kind of want to get more to them and their personalities and and tell some stories. So we're hoping to get folks like Jay Billis, uh, Dave Bing uh, is, is going to be coming on soon. Cool. Uh, Derek Coleman is waiting for the check to clear. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you can imagine where we're going to be headed. Wait a minute. They gave you a budget for your podcast? Wow. How about that? I, I think this, this is going to be coming out of my own pocket if I get Derek on. <laughs> Well, I can't wait to hear it. And you said it, Mike, you've, again, not to make you sound old, but you have met so many people along the way. And there's something about this format in allowing people to kind of tell their stories in a, in a way where you just kind of let them go and do their thing that that's different than writing stories and different than being in print, which certainly serves its purpose. And, but this, there's something unique about this format. And I can't wait to hear those stories. Like you, you just said Dave Bing. Like I could listen to Dave Bing talk forever, right? He could read the phone book and I'm in. So I can't wait to hear that and hear some of the great guests that are going to be coming here on. So what is, what's the name of your podcast, by the way? We didn't come up. We decided not to go with the super clevery name that nobody would know exactly what it was when they heard the title, you know, like Waters Bucket doesn't make it, uh, you know. I'd like that. <laughs> well, yeah. So um that worked for the high school newspaper column. I don't think it's going to work today. <laughs> the um, no, We're just going to keep it simple. The Syracuse Basketball Podcast with Mike Waters. Hey, that works. So, you know, we're, people are going to know exactly, you know, what it is. You know, we get Syracuse in there. We get my name out there. And, and then hopefully people will find it. And then once they find it, hopefully they find, they'll find it entertaining too. Uh, you know how it is. You want to get good guests, but then you also want to hear you know, those guests tell their stories. And like you said, the podcast format is, is really designed for that, to, to let people talk a little bit and, and get to them. It's amazing what you can do in 15, 20, 30 minutes, or even an hour if, uh, if, if it merits. Very unique to be sitting here as we tape this on Thursday, October 29th, and there's no schedule. We know that the, the season can start on November 25th, the day before Thanksgiving. Syracuse has a game scheduled for Friday, October, or pardon me, Friday, November 27th against Bryant. That would seem to be the season opener. But in this world we live in right now, a month away from that happening, we there's still a lot we don't know about Syracuse basketball. So let me toss this up to you. What do we know about the season and what do we not know about the season that normally we would know at this point? How about that? Well, what we know is limited. 
Uh, we know the ACC wants to play a 20 game schedule conference as they did a year ago for the first time, um, which we'll have to see how that happens. We know they want to get at least two, if not three games, conference games in the month of December for teams. Uh, there's like six teams that are going to play three December games and Syracuse is, is one of the six. So will a couple of those games come in early December and then maybe one gets wedged in between Christmas or New Year's? We're not exactly sure. We know that both the ACC and the Big Ten want to try to make the challenge happen again. That could get a little tricky. You're going to have some travel, you know, some interregional travel to, to make that work. But apparently they want to try to make that happen. We don't know who the opponent is. Um, I've tried to do a little deductive reasoning and thinking that, well, especially if Syracuse has to travel since they were home last year, do you want to like limit how far they have to go? Maybe put them into a state that's close. Like maybe they play Penn State. Maybe they play Rutgers. Maybe they play Maryland. Um, or maybe one of those teams comes here. Or, you know, at some point, though, teams are going to have to travel to make that happen. So we'll see. We know they want to play Georgetown. And there's been a lot of talk that it might happen in January. So, you know, maybe there's an opening in their ACC schedule. Jim Beheim told me they know dates of ACC games, but they didn't at the time know which team they were going to be playing on which date. So, you know, but at least they had a skeleton there that's allowing Jim and his staff to try to schedule in the non-conference games. And other than probably Georgetown and then the ACC Big Ten Challenge and then the Bryant game, which you mentioned, we really don't know anything beyond that. Well, and what's unique is from Thanksgiving until mid-January, there's no students on campus, and that's different than usual. They would go home for Thanksgiving, come home, uh, come back to campus for a couple of weeks for finals and everything. So that gap is bigger, and that would seem to give them a, a good two-month window to jam some games in there. But you're going to be covering Syracuse basketball games for the first time ever with no fans in the building. I think that's pretty abundant that that's going to happen. I mean, who knows what a month will bring here, you know, with how this has been going with certain things. Governor Cuomo, the day before the home, home opener, be like, yeah, sure, let him in. We just, but the, with the rate of the virus climbing a little bit and just naturally what people thought would happen with the, the weather getting colder and everything, I don't anticipate there's going to be fans at first at the dome, but have you heard about that and the efforts being made? I know that they're trying to do it for football. They wanted fans at the Wake Forest football game this week. And, and the governor even said no to that. So it's hard to make predictions in 2020, Mike, but I'm pretty sure you're going to be covering a bunch of games with no fans in the building. You're probably right. I, I could see no fans. I could see very limited fans like select friends and family. Uh, you know, people that the players would put on a list uh, basically the next step would be students, I would imagine. I, I, I think schools want to get students in uh, even before we start talking about season ticket holders and donors. Um, I think the students have to be the first ones in. Um, if for no other reason, they're at least on the same campus as the athletes where the other folks are not. And if we're trying to limit communities you know, spread and stuff like that, it makes sense just to keep it a very limited audience. Um, it's going to be very weird. I've heard of some schools that are planning on playing in their smaller campus gyms rather than go off campus where they would play. Like would a Villanova, instead of scheduling any game at the Wells Fargo, 
you know, where the Sixers play, just stick to their campus arena. Uh, even like a Providence, which has a small little like alumni hall practice facility with some seating, would you play there instead of going downtown to at least when we were in the Big East? I don't know what it's called now, but it's the Dunkin' Donut Center. Um, you know, at least so then, you, you know, you're not playing in some big cavernous arena. Syracuse doesn't really have that option. I don't think you're going to play a game at the Mellow Center. Uh, so they will be playing games at the Carrier Dome which is big and cavernous. And when there's nobody in it, I mean, you know, you've gone there when they've practiced. Yep. And a practice at the Carrier Dome when there is nobody in the stands, man, that it, it's like you're playing in the, in, the, in the bottom of the Grand Canyon. That's a great way to put it. It's, it's a very different environment. So that'll be interesting just to see how players react to that. Speaking of players, Mike, they're practicing as we speak and getting ready for the season. And while we can't usually get the same access at this time, what are you hearing about practice? What are you hearing about this team right now as, as they're getting closer to that, that first game, which we think is November the 27th? Is, is anybody standing out uh, for maybe some new players? Or just tell me what you're hearing right now. I've heard little snippets about each of the players. Um you know, and initially uh, the coaches were really excited about the freshmen because I think it was like really the first time they had laid eyes on them. So, you know, you, you would hear really good things about Kadari Richmond, the guard out of Brewster Academy, a very big guard. And yet Jim Beheim says he's point guard and he's like six, five, six, six, but he's a point guard and they like his aggressiveness, the athleticism. He likes to drive, likes to go to the basket. Um Jim really felt like, you know, he'd be able to come in and give him some minutes, either subbing in for Joe Girard or coming in and bumping Joe over to the two if Buddy needs a breather. Uh, so they, they like him. They feel like, especially defensively, um, that he's ready to, to give them some minutes off the bench. And That's always key with Bayheim. Yeah, play. you have to be able to defend, um, you know, unless you possess some other incredible skill, like, a, like you're a three-point shooter or something. Uh, the one thing you can't do is you can't go in and allow buckets. Um, uh, along those same lines, Frankie Anselm, the, the freshman, the, the big center, they recruited kind of a late commit out of California. They rave about his athleticism. Now, in all honesty, you know, some of the assistant coaches have said offensively, he's got a long way to go, you know, but they, they really think that they might have found a guy here who was ranked pretty high at one time. And then over the course of a year out at Prolific Prep, he kind of slipped about 30, 40 notches in, in the rankings. But, you know, you, you still have a guy who at one point in time was a top 60 uh, ranked recruit. So they, they love the length of the athleticism. Um, you know, I've also heard Buddy Bayheim's added to his game. Uh, they're excited about the backcourt of him and Joe Girard coming back with one year of experience. You know, when you think back to last year, you know, Buddy was in his first year as a full-time starter and rises to the occasion and averages 15 points a game and leads the ACC in three-pointers made. Joe Girard began last season on the bench. That's right. You, you were supposed to have another first-time starter at point guard. It was Jalen Carey That's at right. the start of the year. But when he get, had the hand injury, Joe gets thrust into it. So now you have a freshman out there starting for the first time and in the role of a point guard. Now, he had the ball in his hands all the time in high school. He wasn't exactly a point guard in high school, 
the ball was in his hands so that Joe could get the shot off in high school, score 50 points a game. All of a sudden, he's having to run a team. He had a nearly two-to-one assist-to-turnover ratio. He led the team in steals. He averaged 12 points a game. You want to see his three-point shooting percentage get better. Um, but I think but those two guys, the experience they have, people complained a little bit about their defense. I think the year experience is going to help them. They'll, especially since you play zone, they're going to learn the angles, how to deny that entry pass better, how to cut off a drive, um, play off each other. Joe's added 15 pounds of muscle. Wow. I think being stronger helps him on both ends of the floor because we know he wasn't just a shooter. He did like to drive. I think being a stronger guy, being able to hold off a defender will help. And on the defensive end, you know, you can't just maneuver him aside, you know, put a forearm out and drive past him. I think he'll be tougher to get by. So we'll see. But yeah, I, I think they can, uh, I think they can be a much better team than a lot of folks nationally are giving them credit for at this point. Well, and on that guard position, Mike, it's interesting to hear what you said about Kadari, because if I was going to make a bet, one bet on this team, okay, I get one bet. Okay. It would be that Joe Girard and Buddy Beheim are both going to be in the top five in minutes played in the ACC, right? Probably they're a just, pretty good bet. They're just going to play a lot. But Kadari's seemingly pushing them a little bit, and he's going to get time. And it's going to be interesting to see how Beheim kind of mixes that up because that's a position that is not very deep, right? It's it's basically those three. Alan Griffin can slide over and play guard a little bit, but – it's not like, as we'll discuss here in a moment, like there's four centers on this team and, and, and there's positions that are stacked a little more than the guard position, but those two are going to play a lot of minutes and that's not going to change from last year. As you brought up, the defense will be interesting to see how they develop there. I wanted to ask you about Alan Griffin and I, I fall into this habit and it's hard not to because the natural thing is you just slide him into the Elijah Hughes spot, right? Right. They're not exactly the same player, but he, is he being asked to play that role? Yes. Uh, the, the small forward position is, is open, vacated by Elijah Hughes uh, and his early departure. They're, I, don't think they're, I don't think they're the same, though, Elijah and, and Allen. Uh, Allen's a little bit smaller at 6'5". Elijah was listed at 6'6". Elijah was a bigger, heavier type of guy. But I think... Fans are going to like Alan Griffin's playing style. He's intense. He's got a motor that doesn't stop. He plays really, really hard. You know, at Illinois in limited time, he averaged 8.9 points and four and a half rebounds. In about 18 minutes a game, averages four and a half rebounds. Elijah Hughes averaged five rebounds a game in about double the time that Alan Griffin was on the floor. So like 35, 36 minutes. And, and it wasn't like Alan Griffin was playing in like a lower level or mid-major conference. He was in the Big Ten. If you can average four and a half rebounds in 18 minutes a game in the Big Ten, I don't care what your height is, you, you're a go-getter. You go get the ball. That's awesome. So I think he's going to be okay there. Um, and, and if he can shoot the ball like he did at Illinois. Now, coming off the bench sometimes, maybe somebody doesn't you know pick you up right away and the Illinois had other weapons. So he makes 41% of his threes. Can he come even close to 41% made three-pointers at Syracuse 
if he's starting and becoming more of a focus of the other team's defensive attention. You know, he's on the first page of the scouting report instead of the second page. Um, so I think he gets a, a really good shot there. And I, I think he's really exactly the type of player Syracuse needed. There are other options, though. You know, Quincy Guerrier is coming off a pretty good freshman year. And I think it's an even better freshman year when you think about the fact that we didn't know it at the time. He was playing through a debilitating injury with torn uh, muscles in his core and groin. He had to have off-season surgery to to repair it. It wasn't even like, oh, he just needs a little rest and he'll be fine. He he needs surgery. So I think, you know, you're going to look at a a Quincy Guerrier that's going to be an even more ferocious rebounder. He's going to be able to play defense better because you figure, you think about it on defense, having to slide and move your, you know, your move your body side to side. That just had to be pulling at that muscle over and over again. Could not have been fun. Uh, so, and then just having a year experience in the zone uh, make, makes you a better defender. And, and then being healthy, I think, makes him a better defender. And we'll see if he, if he makes his shots. You know, he didn't shoot the ball very well last year from three. But in practice, we saw him make some. You know, so can he make just – he doesn't have to be Buddy Beheim from three-point range. But if he could show that he can knock it down if left open, well, now the other teams have a – you know, they have to worry about him in a whole different way because we know he's got the size and athleticism to blow past people if they're up on him. That was always interesting to see Beheim discuss that <laughs> and the look on his face when Quincy would pull up for threes. But Jim did acknowledge, like, he can make some in practice, but it it got to a point where if Quincy was pulling up for a three in a game, Jim Beheim was going to run out there and tackle him at this point. So It was the old Paul Harris scenario. That's a great, great comparison right there. (laughs) Everybody wants to shoot threes these days, right? Mike, uh, I wanted to ask about Marek and Barama, seniors on this team and uh there's a great mike's mailbox question give you a little plug for that great uh, column you write every week answering uh questions from listeners uh listeners see here we go uh, uh, podcast lingo answer readers from They're readers readers listeners from everybody right but whoever finds my email address i'll take questions from anybody and, and what i love about mike is it could be the most random question in the world that would require five days of research and he will find the answer for you he is that dedicated to it but somebody asked you about Baram and Marek, and it's, it's the same thing we were discussing this week in football with seniors that can come back. The NCAA is like, yeah, come on back if you want, right? Mm-hmm. So it's interesting if they'll take advantage of that or where their paths will take them. But I, I'm thinking back to last year, foul trouble was an issue for those two. But as we got towards the end of last season, it kind of evaporated. So that's certainly something you'd like to leave behind last year if you're Barama and Marek. But you know, we've heard about how they're bigger, better, stronger, and that's just natural with, with players evolving to this point. Mm-hmm. What is the, what is the importance of their game right now evolving and, and being senior leaders? I think with Barama, you look at like the last six to 10 games of last season and look at how his performance just increased. And I think largely it was because of the thing you mentioned, the foul trouble. Early in the season, he was fouling out of games. He was getting into foul trouble early. When you're a center and you're in foul trouble, even if you're still in the game, you have to change the way you play. You become more tentative. You don't rebound as well. 
you're you don't necessarily want to go up and defend that shot as aggressively as you would if you if you didn't have any fouls and also when he learned the play without getting into foul trouble it was clear he could do some stuff out there he like his last six games he had 10 or more rebounds every single game it was the first time a Syracuse player had had six straight games of 10 plus rebounds since I think 2011. Wow. I, I, off the top of my head, I want to say Rick Jackson did it in 2011, but you have to go back there. I mean, like Rakeem Christmas in his senior year didn't even have six straight games with 10 or more rebounds, you know? So imagine that. And, it's impressive. Yeah. And he's on the floor. And if you just get a few rebounds on the offensive end and stick them back in, four points you know you, you run the floor a little bit you, you get enough listen it doesn't take much for Barama Sidibe to get up to eight or ten points a game and if we're talking about a guy at the center position who can get you eight to ten points and eight to ten rebounds that, that's like third team all conference and you know um so I really you know it'll be interesting to see if he can get the that last stretch of last season to translate over to this year I, I think he can uh Marek you know, we've seen Al Marek for three years. He's gotten a lot of playing time going all the way back to his freshman year. I think you're going to see him basically in just the same role, but you just want him to do a little more. And I think for him, it just comes down to confidence. Just play the way we see you play in practice, play the way we see you play in a game for like a little snippet of time. You know, that, that the, the, the fast break spin move, past a guy and dunk and the whole carrier dome everyone's jaws are hitting the floor and you're like well, why don't you do that more often right you know uh, you know last year all of a sudden he stopped taking threes whereas a sophomore he made a few um so i just think as a senior now and maybe you know we know he added about 15 to 20 pounds in the off season and sometimes that is something that can give a guy a little more confidence he likes the way he's, you know, he likes the results in the weight room. He likes the way he looks in the mirror. One time in practice, he's able to fend somebody off physically and the confidence just starts to rise. So it'll be really interesting. I mean, it, I don't want to predict a, you know, like a big, huge breakout from Marek because he's, we've seen him now, you know, he's had time, he's played. So, you know, sometimes it's like, okay, maybe he is what, he, you know, what we've seen, but I think there is a chance for him to get a lot better. Um, maybe you don't see numbers rise everywhere, but still like add a couple threes to your game, you know, just a few points per game. It, it might only be a few points, but it, I think it, it can be reflective of a, a completely different type of player and you're giving your team more and some stuff isn't even going to show up in a box score. I think that's the kind of senior season we might be headed for, for Marek. By the way, you brought up the Joe put on some weight that Marek put on some weight. Uh, I too added 15 pounds in the off season, but probably not in the same way that they did. They're, they're a little more muscle and a little more uh, controlled uh, for, for those guys. Yeah. You know, and, and some of these guys gained weight because they couldn't play. These are young kids. And when they eat and then they have to go out and practice, you, it's hard. Their metabolism, they, they burn it all fast. I think because of the, the pandemic and shutting down, some of the guys were able to find places where they could work out in a, in, a work, in a weight room. Some of the guys were able to find a gym where they could shoot, but you weren't going up and down the floor anywhere. 
So I, I, I would imagine some of the weight gains that we've seen, especially from like a Mareka Barama, don't be surprised if by the time the season gets here, they, they, their weight might actually be a little bit less than what they're listed at. If, if, if they were weighed in August when they got back to campus, weigh them again on, uh, on December 1st or something, and I bet you they've dropped about five pounds. But still, it did give a couple of those guys a chance to pack on a few pounds that they're just not able to do when they're constantly running and playing and working out. Mike, final thing for you. Uh, you brought this up earlier in the conversation. You mentioned you think Syracuse could be better than maybe what some national pundits feel they could be. What does Syracuse have to do to prove you right? Uh, two things. You got to defend better. Uh, they were not a very good defensive team last year, both inside at the rim. Uh, people, people were able to get to the rim. And a lot of that was because we mentioned it earlier, the foul trouble. You, you know, Barama was, didn't, didn't do real. He didn't react well when guys were getting past defenders and getting closer to him. He picks up foul troubles. Now he's not nearly as good defensively if he's still on the floor or he's on the bench. And now you're compromised because you're moving Marek into the middle. So I think they got to be def better defensively. They got to be defensively better on the perimeter as well. They gave up a lot of threes last year. I mean, teams always take threes against the zone. And even though we're only talking a few percentage points, they shot better. And when teams are taking a lot of threes against you, just the slightest increase in per percentage points can really be ruinous. I mean, if you're playing a close game, and you win by three or four in one year because you got a good perimeter defense. And the next year, the other team's percentage goes up by just a few, and they, they're making two or three more threes a game against you. Well, now you go from winning by four to losing by five. So, you know, the, a little bit of better defensively is what they got to do. And they, I, they need to rebound better. They weren't a great rebounding team last year, but they were down the stretch. And again, you go back to the, you're looking at, Barama and Marek and, and Elijah rebounded better down the stretch last year. Now he's gone, but again, when you saw better rebounding out of his spot and maybe you're going to get that better rebounding with Quincy and Alan Griffin there, um, you know, we'll have to see. The other thing too is the guards got a rebound. Joe did a pretty decent job as a freshman last year, but he was under two rebounds a game or right at two rebounds a game. Now, even if you're a guard, if you're six foot six and you're in, you're on the floor for 35 minutes a game, you got to do better than two rebounds. You just have to. I mean, there's there's a lot of long rebounds that you have to turn and find your man and chase that you know long rebound down and beat a guy out. So, I, I think it's going to be a point of emphasis. Uh, so those would be the two areas that they have to improve. And if they do, I think they can be pretty decent. I think they could be as as good as maybe the I don't want to overdo it, but finish as high as fifth in the ACC. You finish as high as fifth in the ACC, you're probably looking at a sixth seed in the NCAA tournament. Which could be in a bubble, but we'll save that for a future conversation. Michael, I cannot wait to hear the Syracuse basketball podcast with Mike Waters coming soon. Be on the lookout for that. We'll certainly tell you about it on social media and on Syracuse.com, but look for it on iTunes and Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe like you do to this podcast. So you get Mike's conversations and insight into Syracuse basketball coming up. It's going to be a unique season coming up and uh, we'll be all over it for you. And uh, Mike, thanks for the time today. And when we bring you back in the future, you know, unless you big time me because you got your own podcast now. Uh, we, we will have an in-depth discussion about whether Die Hard's a Christmas movie. It'll be a great debate. So, Julian, 
Syracuse lost to Clemson, but that score does not really indicate what kind of game it was for a while. I just want to get your reaction to how about this? Syracuse covered the point spread. We'll, we'll start with something <laughs> positive, right? Yeah, I mean, that, that's there's always something to, to uh, find uh, positive about an out game like this. And um, my first thought was, why don't we get these kinds of spurts in other games? Like, why does it? I, I get, you know, the number one team in the country, like you're probably going to get the best effort from most teams as you play. Um, but if I'm Syracuse, you know, it shouldn't require, you know, a team coming in with high regard to put your best effort forward, especially uh, with the amount of young players that they're putting on the field. I, I mean, I find it incentive enough, you know, if I'm a guy who wasn't expected to play to come out there and, you know, start try to put as much good tape out there as I can. But I was impressed by a lot of guys. We were talking about Garrett Williams a little bit earlier uh, off the air. Um, and I, I liked uh, what I saw from, ah, dang, I just lost the name of the running back, backup cat that came in um, after Carter had gotten hurt. Uh, but there, there were some guys that came out there and showed some things. And my hope is now that you've put some good tape out there and you've got a feel for, what it means to be productive on the field that starts to carry and that we're getting out of this preseason mode of, you know, inaccuracy or lapses on defense. And we're starting to get into uh, a, a better sense of how this offense and defense is supposed to function and how they're supposed to operate as a football team. Let me ask you about something that's still bothering me from that game. And I want to get a player's perspective on this. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's fourth and one. You're on the Clemson 41 yard line, late third quarter. You know where I'm going. Dino Babers not only doesn't go for it on fourth and one, he calls timeout and out of the timeout punts the football. Now the play worked in the sense that Clemson didn't do anything on that drive with the football. However, mm-hmm. on the next offensive possession, Rex Culpepper fumbles, Clemson returns the touchdown. And I believe that was the football gods punishing Syracuse for not going for it on that fourth and one play. How'd you see it? Yeah. So, you know, I put the, the coaching hat on first, uh, you know, the, the thought process is, well, my defense is better than my off and I trust them and chances are we're going to end up with better field position. But at the time I was like, you know what, this is pretty good field position to go for this anyway, you know, st- thinking a step further. So as a player, and that's, and that's the key, you know, it, when you're a player and you're going to push your head coach for a call in certain situations, you have to know them. And then you have to understand the situation as well and do that step further of thinking to go and push him like, hey, Coach Rip, great field position right here. And that's why I wish more guys would have uh, taken that opportunity to push their coach a bit. And maybe he didn't. Maybe it wasn't DeVito or someone that he may have said, all right, maybe a dungeon type, you know, some types, some kind, sometimes guys come in. And they're like, hey, let's do this. And the coach be like, you know what? All right. But uh, but I, I think back to a lot of situations where um, it may have been uh, a third and long. And I can remember Dyshawn or Cam saying, hey, you no, know, like the call was coming in. And he's given, they'll give a signal like, hey, you know, let's go with the blitz here. Not that coverage, let's go with the blitz. Like, we, I know I can get there. I know I can get there. Coach will change the play. Shafe would change the play and say, okay. So, I mean, in that situation with uh, Coach Babers and that fourth and one call, uh, I wish players were a little more aggressive, but um, you under, you got to understand the circumstances. And I think in that case, it was just uh, him believing in his defense a little more than his offense. To be fair, Sean Tucker was out. You mentioned, yep. you know, you don't have a Dungy. Um, 
you're a little more hesitant with certain things, but what bugs me about it is a lot of weird stuff was going Syracuse's way, right? They had blocked a punt. They had a pick six from Garrett Williams, who we'll talk about here shortly. And I don't think you beat Clemson. Not that I think Syracuse is going to beat Clemson anyway, but you don't win those kind of games without being weird and trying different things. You're not going to beat them conventionally. So that's going to eat at me. It's over. They lost the game, but Maybe it's just me, Julian, and I'm, I'm stubborn about certain things. I, I don't get no, over I, certain I'm things, but that, right one, with you. that one's going to hang with me. Yeah. Yeah, I, and I agree in the same thing. And going back to, it was 2016, they won the game. Uh, 2016, you know, they, they took their shots and they were aggressive. And you're right, when things are starting to you know, go bounce in your, in your, in your favor, uh, you got to keep taking those shots and try to, you know, the odds are already, you know, 99.99% against you. You got to start chipping away at those odds some kind of way. And going forward on fourth, fourth down is, is one of the ways to do that. And I don't think there's room to be conservative um, in those situations against a team like that. I, I think you, you pull out um, or take a chance in every opportunity you get. And that fourth and one call, I think was a big moment for them. And again, that's, as a player, I just wish there was a little more. I didn't, I was looking for on the sideline a bit, like out of the timeout coming in. It just didn't look like there was any pull or push from the players to try to go forward as well. And that, that's where I'm like, man, I, you got to have a little bit of aggression trying to push your coaches there. And you're right. I think that's, that's a play that could have uh, swung the game, at least uh, to help Syracuse and uh, potentially change the outcome. All right. Straight to your heart here. We got a player in the Syracuse secondary where a star has been born. Garrett Williams, pick six, broke up an amazing play on Amari Rogers, who's one of the better wide receivers, not only in the ACC, but in the country. Eight tackles on the day. Garrett Williams has been phenomenal for this team all year, but that Clemson game, it all came together. How has a freshman walked on the field, a former quarterback, by the way, so I think he brings an interesting perspective to this, but how has he had the early success that he's been able to, to, to have, not only – for Syracuse just out of the gate, but against some really good receivers and some good teams that they faced. Yeah. So I, and this, Ooh, this is great. So I know a few journalists listen to this, right. And, and a, something I would ask if, if I were one would be to go and check out what his process was between his freshman year. Cause he's a redshirt freshman. So between his redshirt year and somewhere between the spring and summer, what happened? What were you doing? Because I've noticed just in myself and a lot of guys coming out of their freshman year, whether it was a redshirt year or a true freshman year, was there is this massive like confidence boost on top of once you figure out the system that you're playing in and, and you understand how it's supposed to work, um, despite there being a new defense, it doesn't matter. Once you understand how the speed of the game is and how you operate and fit in it, all of a sudden, there's once the confidence boost goes up, so does your play, especially at corner. And there's certain things that you can do, particularly at that position, that just expedites like your your progression. So you know, it would be really interesting to know what he was doing at the end here and the beginning of this season because that technique. Uh, it, it's a really interesting process. I want to explain this one, but his technique is, to me, some of the best I've seen. I mean, it's up there with Chris Frederick, and I thought Chris was probably one of the had 
some of the best technique I'd seen out of a corner um, in the conference. So uh, his technique has, you know, skyrocketed. And I thought it's, it's pristine. Um, I love his attention to detail in terms of uh, how he's turning his head. He understands uh, the system that he, that he's playing against. So he knows, oh, I can turn my head in this case um, versus, oh, I should probably play the man. Like he's, it's, it, he's just a very talented corner. And um, it would be really interesting to know what his process was early on um, in this season, because so far to me, it seems like he's, I think he's been the best defensive back um, for Syracuse this year. And the, the, his technique and his ability to play the football has been some of the best I've seen since, since I've been. And Garrett's emergence is needed, you know, with Cisco, of course, hurt. Tro Williams has been banged up and hasn't been able to, to stay on the football field this year. There's been a couple other young players. Rob Hanna has been impressive. Jihad Carter has been impressive, but Williams, there was a stat that PFF put out on Twitter that entering the Clemson game, and I, I think this number holds, but entering the Clemson game, he had been targeted 30 times and had not given up a score, which is really yeah. impressive and still hasn't. So we'll see his continued emergence. And that kind of brings me to, there's a lot of young players that are on the field right now out of necessity. I think it was 45% of the mm -hmm. roster that traveled to Clemson were either freshmen or redshirt freshmen. That's an incredible number. And that's half the roster period. But when do you start putting in some younger guys by choice, not by necessity? And I'm starting to head down the road of quarterback, Jacoby and mm -hmm. Morgan, Dylan Markowitz. I think Morgan's got the, the early lead for backup. He's getting the reps at practice and he was on the field. He didn't throw a pass against Clemson, but do you wait till after the bye week or is it just kind of now that Clemson's in your rear view mirror, do you, do you start experimenting more for lack of a better term, if you're Dino Babers? I mean, I would. Uh, I mean, you're weighing, uh, do I want to burn this red shirt? And then you're also weighing, okay, what kind of recruits do we have coming in as well? And where's what's their talent level compared to the guys that we have now, right? Because you don't know if they're going to come in and end up, you know, being a player for you. Uh, so you're, you're kind of weighing what kind of quarterback courtroom are we going to have? Uh, I don't know what transfer, what's the transfer situation is going to be. So I would try to play as many guys as I could to try to keep them, you know? Um, but yeah, I would start to try to put some of those guys in, see what they can do. Uh, I've heard Coach Davis in a few interviews saying that uh, they're just not ready. It sounds like, you know, that they're the young pups that um, just are still learning the system, still trying to figure out um, how they fit in it. So, but I would try to start fitting them in as early as possible. One, from a strategic standpoint of, I don't want them to transfer. I don't want them to go anywhere. Uh, but two, I want to know what I have. Because you know what you have in Culpepper. I mean, this season's gone. Like, I don't know what the bowl situation is like, if they were to win two, three, maybe four games this year. But this season, to me, at this point, has reached um, an experimental mode in terms of your quarterback and some of the young guys that you have, uh, as particular on the outside, you know, the farther away, all that you are, but you feel like the season experiment, at least on the offensive side of the ball, quarterback, receiver, maybe those young backs, I don't want to play at the offensive line because you don't want to get people hurt. But uh, there, there's certainly room to start putting in some of those young guys. And I think we've reached a point in the season based on what we've seen so far where there's, there's, there's nothing wrong with doing that. I can think back to, um, I, I think it was our, my junior season, so it would have been the, the four and eight year. And we got to um, – the last few games of the season. And that's when our coaches would go in, especially uh, Coach Bulla, and he would you know, start pulling freshmen, sophomores aside. He's saying, hey, 
and you quiz them to see what they know. And if that, if that guy knew what was on, it's like, all right, we can play him. We can see what's going on. So I think as, as fans, when you're watching this game, the guys who are actually getting playing time, uh, especially, um, you know, later on, the that's probably a sign of trust in this coach is that uh, this guy knows what he's doing. Let's see what he can do. And if we don't see them, that's, that's a negative in that he may not know what's going on. He hasn't shown anything in practice yet. Julian, we talked about this a bit last week coming off the Taj Harris incident. And what you said last week is there's no greater currency for a player than their playing time. Dino had mentioned during the week that it was taken care of in-house, and then we learned he yeah. didn't travel to Clemson. So he got the ultimate punishment for this one. I want, I want to know what you think about the punishment itself by not bringing Taj with the team to Clemson. And I think that was the right move on Dino's part. When you're a veteran player like that and you're not setting an example, I think the example got set for you, I guess, for lack of a better term. And the second part of that is, I think we saw a little bit more distribution to the wide receivers as a result of that. Yeah. So one, I thought that was a great move uh, by coach Dino and the rest of the staff. Um, you, know, you know, we talked about this last time on the podcast. So if, if you were, you have to recognize as a, college athlete that you are representing your country your your team and uh, something much bigger than you and that's the case you know as a college student anywhere once you get into the working world social media you're always representing something like whether it's the workplace or whatever else and you need to put you know your best face forward um in this case you can't flip all cameras and expect expect to play the next week so i thought that was a good move by coach favors and um on the other side of that, you're right. We did see some guys from the receivers, but at least spreading the ball around. Um, I thought that was good, one for the quarterbacks, because uh, I think that this offense tends to rely on one receiver. And I've, I've heard rumblings on the inside that coaches will put one guy, like if they got a Taj Harris or a whoever, like a number one guy, they'll move him into routes specifically for him to get the ball. Uh, but without that guy, I thought Syracuse's offense better when the quarterback was able to just make a decision uh, based on what he was seeing. And we start to see a, a few guys um, catch a few footballs and that receiver group itself. I, it needs to grow the drops uh, that we've seen across, you know, the, the beginning half of the season uh, where we're disappointing. And uh, that's why I'm looking forward to more guys getting, there, especially young guys getting there and getting some experience because uh, this offense relies on receivers um, almost as much as it relies on quarterbacks. They have to make reads in terms of reading defenses and knowing which they, it's a gap defense and a gap offense in terms of their receiver. Uh, that receiver is going to run his route and try to find a space. And it's important uh, for them to get comfortable doing that because that's going to improve the offense. And at this point, you know, you want any improvement that you can find. So uh, Taj Harris being out, I hope he learns his lesson. Like you can't make those mistakes. You have to be in control. Uh, but on the other opposite side of that, um, I think the wide receivers, that, that young group uh, took advantage of their rep. It's kind of a weird midway point of the season because it's an 11 game season, but I guess this is kind of the midway point with six down and five to go. So I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on halfway home and, and what to look for in the second half of the season for Syracuse here. I would be really interested to know what, the locker room is like right now because uh, uh, I've been on teams, I've been good teams, the eight and four year. Uh, I've been on really bad teams, the three and nine season, um, and the halfway point at on both of those teams um, was the one that ended up being good. Like we started off kind of slow beginning the beginning of that season, um, but we had a lot of veteran leadership, and there was 
always someone motivating you. There was always someone looking at the positive. Um, but when we got to that three nine year, that was a younger team. Uh, we had very few seniors that year. Um, and guys that we had, had no interest in, I was one of them. <laughs> That's great. I was one of them. There was no interest in, uh, <laughs> this is, that's terrible to say, right? But you know, I'm out of it, so I don't care. But uh, I was one of them where there was no interest in terms of like senior leadership um, and looking towards uh, the, the positive outlook or thinking that, you know, we can turn this around. Like there, I, I mean, I was a quiet guy too. I, I wasn't one of those talks that was gonna try to motivate people, but we didn't have any guys that did that. Um, and I think that's a major difference in terms of teams that are successful versus teams that, you know, kind of fall apart and get worse and the culture starts to fall apart. So I would be interested to know where this team is, you know, midway through in terms of what kind of leadership do they have and how is, what's the mentality of this team? Like, are they focusing on uh, the things that are important in terms of what they got out of Clemson? Can we continue to improve here or is it, damn, we still have four or five more weeks. Like, you know, there's, there's guys, there's always guys who, um, look forward to the season ending and you've got to have the leadership to help turn that mindset mindset into we can still improve we can still get better we can get something out of this so I'd be interested to know what's going on in that locker room because if you have the right leadership despite whatever your record says this team can improve but uh, with the wrong leadership or no leadership uh, the, things can get bad really quickly and the offseason can make things worse Thanks for listening to episode 76 of the Syracuse Sports Podcast. Thanks to Mike Waters from Syracuse.com. Thanks to our friend Julian Wiggum for joining us. And most of all, thanks to you for listening. Just a reminder that you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Just find Syracuse Sports Podcast, hit that subscribe button, and it will be waiting for you on demand whenever new episodes come out. My name is Brent Dax. We'll talk to you next time.